0: Ah, yes. Hello, this is episode 2 of the Exodus of Magic podcast. Uh, this is Dungeon Master Eddie coming to you today uh, with my good friend Dan. And whereas I've talked before how I've been a, a steadfast D&D player, specifically three five for so many years now. And Dan, who was once a 3.5 player, is now a Pathfinder player. And if memory serves, like Pathfinder 2nd Edition currently.
1: Yes, uh, we started playing the... Pathfinder first edition, probably about the second year was out, um, switched to uh, Pathfinder with my own uh, group and played for, I don't know, was that, maybe what, 2012 I want to say, We played for six or seven years, and then about two years ago after I moved, I started with a new group and we started playing second edition.
0: Alright, so I guess with the question being, after having played D&D for however long, uh, what prompted you to take a look at a different system?
1: Uh, well, part of it was the, the change from when three went uh I guess when uh, Wizards went and launched their 4th edition. We tried 4th edition for 3-4 you know, months and came to the conclusion it just wasn't, wasn't fun. <laughs> I know, it was... Maybe that's not the right way to put it, but it's more of a... It was very radically different from what we've been playing before. And having had my previous experience with RPGs being D&D 3.5, it's like, <laughs> okay, and then Pathfinder came out, and their first edition was essentially... I mean, they nicknamed it, it, named it you know, D&D 3.75. It was essentially the, taking the 3.5 rules, part of the open game licensing, and... Essentially, condensing some of the things that to make it more straightforward, and then building upon that to add more.
0: I've I've originally heard, and it's a sentiment I share, that when it came to fourth edition, uh, a, a common refrain was it, it can be a good system, but it wasn't D and D. Like it, it honestly felt like it was built to try to bring some of the MMO players back to the table.
1: Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. That was a very common conclusion for people who played D&D and then you know, 3.5 and then you try 4th edition it's like it's not D&D I mean it's it's a I, I guess in hindsight now you know now that 5th edition is out and Pathfinder has moved on to their 2nd edition looking back it's it was a fine game it just wasn't what people expected for D&D and, mm-hmm. and I think it was that kind of Reaction to okay, we're going to try to grab people who were playing D and D and bring them in with something that more resembles what they might see in a in a computer game or a a video game type format where you get lots of cool things you can do and and how it's set up.
0: Like I I get then looking at Pathfinder, the next question because there 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 seemed to be like a a three-way split when Fourth Edition came out, either. You decided it's the new edition, so we're just going to go all in. You have people like me who, like I have the I have the full 3.5 library, not counting anything world specific like Forgotten Realms or Eberron or whatnot. Uh, so I can just I can nothing says I can't keep playing this. Uh, and then you had the people who then went to Pathfinder. So like if you take fourth edition out of the equation, you have the I could stay on 3.5 or I could go play Pathfinder. What prompted a push to go try a new system?
1: I think it was, I think a big part of it was mm-hmm. the new content that was offered. And for Paizo, uh, what differentiates them from Wizards of the Coast is that their, why they do it, you know, being a privately held company versus being part of a publicly traded corporation, That. It's not about trying to sell you the rule book and get every nickel and dime out of you by buying rule books it's mm-hmm. for them and supplements it's about we're going to, I mean they put their their rules online for free you you don't you do not have to buy a single book to play either of their systems, first or second edition mm-hmm. like it's all available on uh, archive of Netflix right now that's they partnered with that private organization to put all their their information online for the rules. Mm-hmm they want people to have the rules in their hand they, they sometimes they criticize them about the humble bundle and you know oh it's discounting the value of their product it's like no they're getting more people to try because it's five bucks okay if i really want a copy but i can get it for a, a pdf for five bucks for their four rules they're going to sell you adventures through the i think their big advantage was the adventure path having a, a completely contained adventure in that you can pick up and they were high quality and they it came out that you could take an entire campaign in 6 months cuz every, every month they released another book. And usually it was like first level to mm-hmm. 17 18 something like that. Someone went to 20, but it you know, a 6 month campaign you now for actually the time for like mm-hmm. 20 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't go wrong at the time. And it was I think the combination of you know kind of feeling abandoned with you know Wizards just did a radical turn in how the new edition didn't resemble anything that came prior. And it's like, okay, we keep playing what we had been playing, or we could try this new thing, and my friend actually, uh, Khan actually, is the one that, okay, let's try this. Okay, we'll try it. And we actually had a lot of fun with it. It it actually, in uh, kind of the way we talked about at the time, it was different, yet familiar enough, and the things initially that were different weren't detractors. Like it fixed some of the things like, for example, uh, one of the first things we noticed was the the way the skills were done between 3.5 and first edition Pathfinder, consolidating some of the things. So there weren't as many skills, but you could find things that made sense. Like, you know, the example was hiding and move silently. Like, you know, they just turned it into a stealth roll. You know, it was things like combining some of the, if you're doing, trying to make a spot or a listen check Mm -hmm. or trying to search, Turning that into one role as a perception check. It was doing some of those those things that you know what it was kind of intuitive that you know you had all this huge number of skills out there. It's like okay you could you could see stuff, but you could be completely deaf at the same time. You know it's like that it didn't seem realistic. It was kind of more of a it made it less and maybe less realistic real world, but more encompassing of we're not going to put the rules as an obstacle. We're going to make it we're gonna streamline it and make it make it more about the story and less about the the gameplay mechanic getting in your way. Now on the other hand Pathfinder for has a ton of crunch. I mean that there was a ton of crunch out there. Like if you wanted rules and options and feats and classes and archetypes, you know, there's plenty of that out there if you wanted to. But you know, if you want to keep it simple you could do that too.
0: I think you mentioned the modules, and I, like I've I've mentioned it before, but I've played since the basic box. Like everybody, if you if you're old enough, you remember the D, the D and D red box, right? Mm-hmm. When you had basic Dungeons and Dragons, and then there was Dungeons and Dragons, and then first edition was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And something that you saw, and it it got wobbly is you mentioned, like the adventure paths and the modules, where second edition first and second edition of D&D were very big on that like there was there was lots of that and then in third edition they started to do that and then you had the the open gaming license and then you had all kinds of third-party module content which means Wizards of the Coast started backing away from it like they they had some modules but with everybody else making the modules they started focusing on their core books and then you get into 3.5 where in the beginning there were a handful of of modules and there was some bleed over third edition of 3.5 but they left that ignored until probably the tail end of 3.5 when you started getting uh, like the hardcover ones like uh, Return to to Castle Greyhawk and the Ruins of Undermountain where it's like all right we're going to give you a book and these were designed that right here uh, with Undermountain for example there's 20 some floors in there we're going to give you very clear write ups of the first five, six floors. And then beyond that, it's on the, the DM to, to come up with everything else. Uh, in essence, they were trying to, I, I assume it's like they wanted to give them a, a focus base to start and then let the DMs be creative. Uh, part of me having uh, consistently run my own worlds and universes 25 years. Um, I also understand how much work goes into all of that. So I, I wonder, especially with the adventure paths, if that made it easier to to have a DM, right? If they don't, if, if all the prep work is already done, like it's it's a great example. The hardest thing to find in, in football is quarterback. The hardest thing to find in baseball is your star pitcher, right? You like if you're a fielder, they can with a little training they can bounce you around the infield. Uh, but with with any gaming group. You know, everybody wants to play, finding somebody who's going to run the group. Uh, One, they they have to be willing, and that already is very rare, but then you need to make it easy enough for them to be able to run a game. Um, And and my feeling is the modules allowed you to do that, and the Wizards of the Coast with their book modules, and they are, I think they're, I like them. I like it from a book standpoint, collectible hardcover. I think they're beautiful. I think what they do is also really good if you have a DM who's willing to put in the time, but I part of me thinks the time factor uh, helped, because in order to get this going, you need groups, right? And ultimately, if you're gonna have more groups, you're gonna need a, a dungeon master, a game master, what have you, because a group just doesn't work without it. If, you're, if you don't have a game master, you might as well just go play a video game. Uh, so I wonder if those adventure paths and, and the simplifying of the rules helped with that because the like one of the games I have has some relatively new players and just this is, we still play 3 five, the sheer amount of skills, the sheer amount of feats, the sheer amount of options with, with now the entire library of books uh, almost gets the not quite an analysis paralysis, but the if you have a choice between Coke and Pepsi, you're going to pick one. Walk down the soda aisle and you got you know, 70 different things to choose from you get stuck thinking about what do you want. Right? It's easier to make a choice when there are fewer. So I wonder if that, you know, that simplification and then that uh, simplification and then the, uh, just the ease of play for, for getting a game master to the table is what really helped boost Pathfinder because it, it was very similar in the beginning and then it was just made easier to run the game.
1: Would, I would agree with that. Uh, I, uh, I think finding uh, having pre-published adventures and not, you know, combination of adventure paths and modules and then the organized play, the, you know, every month, mm-hmm. two, you know, four-hour session type, uh, you know, self-contained adventures where you know, the prep work has essentially been done. It's laid out in the pages, you know, that these are the encounters and, you know, they, they give the, the game master Background information to how to run a particular encounter, uh, with you know the, the motivations of and morale of the I guess antagonists in in a given encounter and what's going on in the adventure. Um, I think they've done a, a good job of harnessing the talent that's out there to write adventures for players, and then to find a game master to run it becomes if you remove that. I don't have to spend 10 hours prepping the session. I can spend two hours prepping the session because I can read through the adventure and make notes of, oh yeah, I really remember this, this, and this, versus trying to come up with, with ideas. I think it, 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 ins- it uh, facilitates groups to play more. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really the difference. Um, I think the key takeaway difference that made the leap to try Pathfinder, it's like, hey, this is actually a lot easier you know, you can, we, and we played, before we went to Pathfinder, we'd played 3-5 and we'd done homebrew campaigns. <laughs> That's a lot of work. And after, we, always, we found that after, you know, three or four months, you burn a out. You know, because it's a lot of, especially when you have five, six, seven players at the table, um, you can do that where all of a sudden they all want to go in a different direction. You know, it's, the, it's kind of the, the, the analogy, you're trying to herd cats. Um, pre-published adventures make it a little easier because it's kind of like, boom, here you are. This is where you're starting. This is what's going on. It, it eliminates the "you all meet in the tavern" kind of uh, adventure. It's, it's usually, hey, this is the the opening. It's usually uh, uh, a few paragraphs of box text, and um, that the GM reads and like, okay, and there you go. And you and oftentimes, um, oh, many of the uh, adventure pass over with. Here's an encounter. Boom! Like it's literally within five minutes of sitting down for session one. Roll initiative, you know, or something. Something happens. In the game. And I think that helps a lot to get people kind of moving in the right direction. Then it initiates that party cohesion and gets people into the gaming mindset.
0: Just you're out of the gate right away. Yeah. There's the milling. Like you, you skip the milling about. You skip getting to the starting block. It's just all right. The gun sounds and you're off and running.
1: And and a a key part of that too is is prep on both the game master's uh, standpoint and the player standpoint. And for the uh, games that I played in with uh, Pathfinder First Edition, even with the second edition game that I'm playing in now, it was very important that we had a session zero. We we usually had a session, which is usually two three hours, something like that, and we talked about gave it you know playing in the last year playing virtually. Like we started a virtual campaign. Last May, and we just we're halfway through right now, um, the third book. I think we started near. it wasn't May, no, was May. I think it was June. So we're a little over a year into. I mean, we play on a weeknight, so we we get three three and a half hours in. That's pretty good for Tuesday night for everybody. And so we had it we had a session zero where we get a chance to you know everyone. Okay, this is the AP that we're playing. This is kind of the general. Synopsis of what this one's about, and then we, you know, we do our party, you know, character build, initial character builds, and you know, talking about okay, what do we, you know, how do we build our characters to mutually support each other and whatnot. And part of that too, this is a group that I've been playing with for three years now, so for the most part, we've been playing every week, uh, whether it's through Pathfinder Society or this homebrew type AP game that we're playing, you know, on a virtual tabletop kind of environment. And I think the combination of having that session zero so that you give your players a chance to, you know, brainstorm okay, this is what we're gonna do kind of settle in on what they're gonna what they're gonna bring to that first session. And then it gives the GM a chance to okay, make sure that they're in inca- cause the adventure pass still have some adjustments that you may need to take into account depending upon your party, you know, or your players at the table. But they kinda they do a fairly good job of Having those contingencies, like they do these kind of things, that assumes that they're going to go down this path. But then it have a lot of sidebars or little appendices. They'll talk about okay, what if they don't do that? You know, because the idea that there's probably some more likely possibilities other than go down this way. <laughs> you know, hey, go right, go from <laughs> A to B. We might take a little detour and about how to um, kind of nudge them back into the the direction of the adventure's over here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't get hung up on this little detail. And sometimes it's a matter of uh, the GM, you know, breaking the immersion breaking the permit and saying, guys, it's not important. This is a, you know, don't, don't get hung up on the, on the, on the zero-level peasant farmer that gave you this little bit of rate. That's all he knows. Like.
0: <laughs> so with, with this group, have you been playing with this group since first edition Pathfinder? Yeah,
1: we started, when our initial group, we started, like, It would be twenty eighteen. We were playing first edition, so we we play society play on uh, on our during the week, and then so now we've what that group has kind of evolved into. Out of that group has evolved a couple of different um, weekly games that are not society play. So I play in the Tuesday night.
0: Let's let's define what society play is, just okay.
1: So Paizo, when they start, it was probably it started before they even had their own official RPG rules and whatnot. They had they call it Pathfinder Society Play. So it's a system of, it's an organized play program where they publish, I think of that, it's basically two pre-published adventures mm-hmm. per month. The idea is that you can build, you have a, a uniform set of character creation rules that allow you to build a character that you can then make that character portable to play in anywhere they're playing society play, anywhere in the world that you can play, you can, one week, you know, I've done that where I've played in Milwaukee one week and then I'm up in Minnesota the next week and I'm playing at the Source in St. Paul. Or they take that character and they go play at a gaming convention. And it, it kind of, it makes the campaign about your individual character mm-hmm. and not about your group that you're part of. So essentially your character, it, it's, it's almost, without having played like the MMOs, it's almost like when you go on a raid, I guess, where, oh, you're going to be paired with these other players, with these characters for that raid. It's almost kind of like that, where you're playing your characters as part of a bigger campaign world, and the way they had it divided up each season, they had season-wide goals, and their seasons ran from Gen Con to Gen Con. And then you know throughout the year they release adventures that tie into that theme and the goals that, you're, that the society is trying to accomplish. And it evolved over time. I mean it, It's I mean if you looked at first edition ver- sorry first season one versus season 10, it's dramatically different how it was uh, executed, that they learned over time. As they found things that people liked, they did more of that. And people did mm-hmm. things that people weren't doing or didn't really like. They stopped doing those things, and it evolved over time with things like factions, where you're everyone's a member of the Pathfinder Society, but there's factions within the Pathfinder Society that have their own goals. You now they all kind of support the main goals, but they have aspects of things that they are more in tune to be. It's more important to them than other factions might be. So, anyway, so we played Society play, and that's actually where. The, I think a lot of my experience with First Edition Pathfinder was through Society Play. Um, so I started within, let's see, I was in, I was just 13, I was 2013, 2012, I started playing Society Play and within about a year. became a Venture Officer, which is what Paizo calls their local organizers, and they organized for about two years, local, local, local games uh, in the Milwaukee area until I moved away and Mm. I passed the mantle to another organizer. Mm -hmm. And what that set up is that you learn a lot about the system when you run it every week. You can learn even more when you run for new people every week. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, I I would say that I grew tremendously as a game master by, you know, that there's the, having the the pre-published adventure is one thing, but then learning how to read people, how to react to your players in real time, like what they're doing and what you know, why they why they're playing and what they're trying to do, it uh it helps you grow as a, as a, both a game master and a player and get better appreciation. I became more appreciative of when you know when I got to play, man, <laughs> I got to play, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do these things that <laughs> aggravate me as a game master. <laughs> I'm not going to do them as a player, because <laughs> you learn. You know, six months of running every week. You learn pretty quickly the things that you don't like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you now, you'd mentioned, like, it was, as, as you learned about this from uh, Pathfinders, um I've just been talking about it. For, like, organized oh, play. Organized play. Um, you know, something like there's, D&D at one point did something with their living Greyhawk that was very similar, but they, as you moved on, like the world would uh, adapt to what players in the different regions were doing. Um, but you'd mentioned you'd, you'd met these people. Well, your gaming group doing this organized play in Pathfinder First Edition. What prompted you to look at uh, their Second Edition? Because I assume you had you, you knew the rules. You had you know the books. Uh, what prompted the jump to give Second Edition a try? Considering the history of um, Dungeons and Dragons, I would say from Second Edition. On first to second edition, there was a, you know, it wasn't, I don't view it as a a cash grab. There were, you know, as as the first advanced Dungeons and Dragons, there were clear power issues that they tried to remedy going into second edition, though one can make the argument the pendulum swung too far in the other direction. Uh, But then third edition, in fairness, was something net new when Wizards bought it. I can't fault that. But then to come out with three five is like all right, we made all these mistakes. Instead of errata, we're just going to redo all the books, and then fourth edition, you know, kind of felt like a cash grab as well. I but going into fifth, I cannot, I, I can't fault them for that. After fourth, um, I with that kind of history. Now, granted, Paizo being a different company, what, what was the impetus? Knowing the history of how editions evolved in other gaming systems to give. Pathfinder 2nd edition, a shot?
1: Okay. So I think uh, Pathfinder 1st edition, the ending, the coming to a close of that, I think parallels what happened with the 3rd edition, 3.5 edition of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It had been out for a decade. 10 years is a long time for a particular edition of a modern tabletop role playing game. Uh, I mean, I mean, it. At that point, you know, like you have many, almost everything that's in print for 3.5. I'm a similar way with Pathfinder First Edition. I have m- almost all of the relevant hardcover rule books. And so I think the Paizo had made the decision that we're going to move to a new edition because after 10 years, uh, from a rule standpoint, I think there was a, it, it started to become inaccessible or sorry, less accessible to new players and a combination of that, and then you have a million different options. Where do you start? You get, you're just you can drown new players in choices.
0: So it's just like the the choice paralysis that we talked about earlier, yep. and then potentially, you know, you just you you run out of history per se. That your the, the barrier to entry uh, becomes harder to mix, uh, like experienced players and new players, because the new players trying to figure things out, and then you have. You know the experience. The experienced players showing up as like Ethan Hunter, John Wick, or you know uh, Merlin or whatnot, and and then the the new players just feel uh, maybe th- a little short in the shorts in comparison. Like I, I,
1: I think it was a combination of those. I think uh, with our group had a fairly large percentage of experienced players that have been playing for six or more years with First Edition, and being that we were initially a group. Playing organized play, and one of the, the caveats with organized play is that you can only play an adventure once with any one character. With some exceptions, there are some adventures that are replayable, but you have to play with a different character each time. And we kind of like it was the com- kind of a decision of okay, the second edition is coming out. We continue to play first edition for about six months or so, um, and then we just like okay, we're going to try the second edition. It became It was kind of that perfect timing of we played, most everyone had played the first edition material. There wasn't a lot that we could put an adventure on the schedule and everyone could play it because there weren't a lot of things left that everyone could play. And then we had quite a few new players come in that that only played, they'd never played Pathfinder before, they only played sporadically or a little bit. So they could play anything that was an organized play, pretty much. But again, I think the starting with the new edition made it put everybody in, back into the same uh, boat, so to speak. That everyone now, okay, we'll try the new edition, and everyone's starting from square, square One, so more experienced players don't have this rules, knowledge, advantage. They can leverage their experience playing RPGs, but everyone's going to learn the rules together. And I, I think that was it was kind of one of those perfect timing things where these things all kind of happened at the same time and it made sense. And we made the leap to 2nd edition. We still play 1st edition, but we'll play modules that people haven't played or an AP that someone hasn't played. But as far as like organized play, we've moved to a playing 2nd edition because that's the current material that's coming out so everyone can play.
0: All right, now we talked about how you started off in D&D and made it to Pathfinder. Were your fellow players the same thing? Did they start with Pathfinder? Did they come over from D&D?
1: So my current group, it's probably, I would say, half had not played either. That was their, or so they played Pathfinder, like, less than a year, and then they moved moved into second edition, and oddly enough half the group started playing some other non-D&D RPG, like we have a, amongst our, our group, we have a group that plays called Cthulhu, we have a group, there's part of that group that plays the Star Wars RPG, I forget which one it is they're playing currently. Um, so, as far as like actually, and then one of the guys actually, play, there's only one guy that actually plays 5th edition on a regular basis right now, so the common denominator for everyone was actually Pathfinder, and ended up being Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So they played other systems before, it was kind of the, hey, we all want to play, this is available, it's kind of equally accessible to everybody, so there isn't any uh, animosity, or, um, yeah, I think it puts it, everyone in the, we can all learn this together and we all have fun.
0: Do you we're, we're coming up to the end of this so my, I guess my guess is looking at how you got into Pathfinder and really I, I think a large part of the original Pathfinder players can trace their arrival from fourth edition D&D um, and, and maybe Paizo has learned of their uh, learned the mistakes of, of other people in the past um, with what was done as, as, as you described their their evolution from first to, to second edition and, and how you know, and after only after so long, you you almost need to uh, reshuffle the deck a little bit just to make it uh, easier for the new players to show up. Because ultimately, these these games we we love them. They are put out by businesses. Businesses need to make money, and and your your money is tied to new players, right? This was true of collectible card games. This is true of Role-playing games. This is true of online MMOs. At some point, you still need new people coming in, so you have to refresh things from time to time. Um, on the off chance that pff, ISO pulls a D and D fourth edition, what do you think your group would do then? Like as, as your closing thought, let's say they they soil the bed, and you look at this and like this this isn't this isn't Pathfinder. Where would you guys go from there?
1: Um, I think with our, well, it's probably not likely, like, we're playing second mm-hmm. edition right now, and we're actually having a lot of fun doing it, so maybe if that's, you know, six, seven, eight years from now, and they, their third edition becomes something of a turd, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with knowing our, the group that I play with, I think what would be matter, we, we look to see what's out there. And honesty, I think there would be, based upon the other games that this group plays, we'd probably go to Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu or Star Wars RPG or some other non d d system. I think likelihood to go to back to D&D is probably small, but then again, there could be a 6th edition or 7th edition D&D by that point. Who knows what that'll bring? Um, it's a group that we've, this particular group is a group that the system isn't Key. It's playing together and having fun. And we found a system that facilitates those two things for us.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to discuss this. This is episode two. We're talking about systems and additions and uh, the evolution of, of gaming over time. Uh, once again, this is episode two of the Exodus of Magic podcast. This is Dungeon Master Eddie saying good night.